Hello, welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by Calder Hannon. Hannon is an academic working on his PhD in Columbia University's music theory program. He's also the sole songwriter and musician in the experimental death metal band Florid Ecstasis, which I'm going to mispronounce as Ecstasis both times that I mention it on this podcast. And most pertinently to this podcast, Hannon is the host of the YouTube channel Metal Music Theory. The almighty algorithm hoisted Metal Music Theory into my recommendations in early 2021, and I have been an avid watcher ever since. Hannon's channel mixes complex music theory concepts with accessible graphic notation and dry humor. Unlike a lot of metal-focused YouTube channels, Hannon doesn't just cover the more obvious, complicated subjects, instead branching out to cover the weirder and less popular fields of death metal, black metal, and doom. After leaving months worth of comments on his videos, I figured I should reach out to the guy and see if he wanted to talk. And graciously, he did. Uh, We talked about his academic career, the intersections of heavy metal, academia, and music theory on YouTube. Um, That's a pretty complicated three-part Venn diagram that we get into all, what is it, six, seven different corners of? I'm not good with coming up with Venn diagrams off the top of my head. We also talk about Meshuggah, uh, Between the Buried and Me, shows that we're both trying to go to, and much, much more. It's a great conversation. Thank you for listening. So you said you're, you're out of the city at the moment? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at my, um, my parents' place in Virginia, and I, I've actually been here for, for a while because all the teaching and stuff has been online. So, but yeah, I'm coming back just a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Is the weather as bad down there as it is up here? It's been uh, awful in New York lately. Yeah, I, I, I think probably about the same, um, if not a little hotter, although mm-hmm. everywhere down here has AC, so it's not as, as bad as it can get in New York. How long have you been in New York or were you previously before? I, I'm, I started grad school in 2018. So I, I lived there for just about two years and then I've, I've been traveling a little bit during the pandemic. I have someone subletting my apartment, so that's worked out nicely, but I'm, I'm excited to be back. I'm, I'm like buying tickets for every single type of concert possible for the next few months yeah um, I was, i've been joking on twitter that they're gonna have to like drag me out of saint vitus when it opens yeah. up again <laughs> yeah yeah what what shows are you going to uh the only ones that i've gotten tickets for so far are the imperial triumphant Piron couch slut show on halloween yeah which I'll is just there. it's so such a ridiculous lineup and then the uh inter arma hence the, the t-shirt oh yeah um with uh, glorious depravity and artificial brain. Yeah, so just I, um, some straight up death metal shit off the bat yeah. for me. I got uh, I got tickets to that one, and then I I realized right after I got tickets that the the big music theory conference is that weekend. So I'm probably going to be well if they have it online, I'll be fine. But if they 
if it's in person, it's, it'll be in Florida, but yeah, that's good. I've, I've got car bomb tickets. I've got, I, I, I've got, so I've got both of those. And then I think I'm going to see knocked loose. I don't know if you know them. They're like a hardcore kind of borderline mm-hmm. deathcore. Um, they're, they're not like the sort of thing I normally listen to, but I, they're, they're really fun. I think I'm seeing the, between the barrier to me, um, the evening with tour that got postponed from a year ago, that's mm-hmm. coming up pretty soon. I got my sugar tickets for February. Yeah, I need um, to get up on that. It's been yeah. a long time since I've seen Mashuga or Converge. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a sick, sick fall. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. You know, I don't know if you've been following the the stories about like the sort of log jam that's happening with live music and the way that everything is getting kind of like it'll just be it'll be so strange to go from like zero to a hundred with all of this yeah stuff, you know yeah yeah i'm sure it's gonna get get tiring and it's also like i don't know have you been in new york the whole time yeah i i've been here i've like only left the city i think like twice the whole time uh, yeah yeah i think it's gonna be a little rough for me getting reacclimated to new york life after kind of a weird sudden year of of kind of doing other stuff Mm-hmm. is so you, i can tell from your background that this is the the like quote-unquote set that you shoot yeah. your, your videos on is that something yeah. that you did in part because of, you were like out of the city and back yeah. home and all that yeah yeah absolutely um i well it kind of it started with all the conferences like the music theory conferences were online this year so everyone was doing pre-recorded videos and i had one of those coming up and i was like well, it would be a shame to just like talk over a PowerPoint because like you can do so much more if you're pre-recording, you can do some cool stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I, what I started with. And um, yeah, I was at my, my girlfriend's parents' house for a while. Um, and then I moved back down here. So both spaces, both places, I, I had the space, I had the time, I had the, the motivation finally to get the, like figure out how to edit videos and, and do all that stuff so yeah so i'm and that's also why i'm kind of right now i'm i'm like binge filming stuff because i, I want to like i'm not going to have <laughs> this much space or, or anything in my new york apartment mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm trying to film everything before i head back at least for the next few months and then be just be able to edit them as as i go um, how far in advance do you typically like plan out your your content Right now is the farthest I've, I've done it. I, I'm planning now, I have like pretty much all my videos uh, planned through the end of the year. And we'll, we'll see how many of those I can actually film, especially because I, I like always get in way over my head and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to do a full playthrough of this and play drums on it too? And, um, you know, it takes days more <laughs> of, uh, of practice and stuff. So yeah, but for a while, and that's kind of why I, I like decided to take a break. I was like coming up with an idea like the Tuesday and trying to get a video together by by Friday. Not not always successfully. So yeah, it's it's varied. A lot of these are like a lot of the videos I'm kind of coasting on ideas that I've had for a long time. So I have like a, a big list of like back burner things or or things that I wrote in seminar papers or in, in undergrad or, or whatever that I can kind of turn into a video with, without too much analytical work. But then sometimes I like 
decide to transcribe something or look at something new. Yeah, I've I've noticed that it doesn't seem like you're too concerned with staying like fresh to the like heavy metal that is coming out concurrently with the channel. Like you've got no problem kind of digging into the uh the deep cuts and stuff like that. You've chosen some some tracks that I think were would probably be unconventional picks if you were going solely with like what was, you know, hot on metal YouTube. Yeah. How do you, how do you like decide like what you want to cover and what you want to focus on? I mean, the first thing is it's just they're all songs that I like um and riffs that I like. And then from there, I don't know, like by far the hardest part is like deciding what to talk about. So it's like normally it starts with some sort of like spark where I'm like, oh, well, that that could be a, an easy angle into talking about this. So it's yeah. And, and then as a kind of secondary thing, I try to keep a variety, at least like in terms of the genres um, and the, the types of thing I talk, things I talk about, like I could just like do Meshuggah videos every week and have something cool to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to do, do some of the other stuff. And that's, that's why I end up doing like some of the, like the primitive man video was like kind of more one of the ones that was like really hard to write and was more speculative. And I was kind of trying to break out of the, the thing, the pattern I'd kind of gotten into of just like, Oh, here's a, something that's, you hear it one way, but it's actually another way, or like, here's a tempo modulation, which are like my two kind of go-to mm-hmm. things to talk about, which they're, they're so cool. And I, I could talk about that all day, but yeah. So I guess it's like, it's just stuff I like. It's a bonus if it's something that I already learned to play at some point. It's interesting. Are you do like, are you deliberately avoiding certain topics as well? Is there anything that like you try to not cover in favor of covering uh, more, lesser known artists or more off the beaten path stuff. Cause I feel like, as you mentioned, you could just do, you know, Meshuggah until the cows go home and you'll, you'd probably get more views that way. Like, you know, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting, that's a good question. That's a great question. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to resist the temptation of doing too much of stuff. That's just like, I know a lot of people will want to see this, like, like I could do a video about Slayer or Lamb of God and that would bring in a whole different audience, I think, which w- would be cool. And someday I'll do that if I, I like right now, I just, I don't feel like I have anything that interesting to say about that. Although like, I feel like there's also kind of this, this, this thing where stuff that's not very interesting. And I've kind of noticed this like for a lot of my videos, stuff that's like not that interesting for me, or it feels like I don't flesh out that well, or, things that I think are kind of obvious uh, always tend up being the most popular <laughs> videos. Um, so it's like maybe the the stuff that I'm like, that's interesting to me is just like too, too deep of a dive. It's like, <laughs> if you're not in music grad school, it's um, there's only a handful of people who are going to like really care about it. But yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, I guess I'm like, I'm trying to have a, a variety. I, I'm also kind of consciously i think a lot of people if they think music theory they think like roman numeral analysis and like the stuff that you learn in theory one and i'm i'm trying to not do a ton of that um i think the harmony stuff and i i don't know if this is really true but i think like getting into the weeds with like you know harmony and chord function and stuff i feel like that that feels a lot more like esoteric and um not that 
like self-evident. Whereas I feel like with the rhythmic stuff, it's much easier to like show something. At least that's what I think. I, I don't really know if that's actually true for any significant number of people. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do stuff that I'm trying not to do like just traditional music theory, I guess. Um, take the, take the music theory with a, a grain of salt. It does seem like rhythm analysis is like the thing that people are looking for when it comes to heavy metal music theory. Like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just that there aren't that many like examples of bands that are like their primary thing is being like harmonically complicated. And I think it's also like sort of like rhythm guitar bias or drummer bias. Like people want to like look up how to play this sort of stuff or like how to like think of it conceptually. And that seems to be like much more of a draw than like, here's a Neapolitan six chord or whatever, you know, like, yeah. And, but again, maybe it's just because there aren't, there's like a dearth of like good examples of that kind of thing in heavy metal to begin with. Yeah. Which I, I don't know if that's, if the, if it's that there's a lack of things that could, you could talk about like that, or if it's, I don't know, I, there, there are people, a few people have done some like heavy metal harmony stuff um and i think like there are plenty of bands that do some really interesting kind of like conventional harmony things i i just i don't know if i i've really like dug my my teeth into stuff sank my teeth into that right yeah (laughs) the the appropriate extent to like be able to say very much that's interesting about it yeah i don't know like another thing i like i i've i haven't done anything about like guitar solos which that's that's something i should definitely pick up I think there's there's a lot of room for like doing the kind of traditional like jazz analysis mm, um, mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, I guess it's just like this this trade off of where I'm I'm a little like I don't want to get into the 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 a routine of like doing videos that I think are very, very basic because I think there is actually a lot of that kind of stuff on YouTube. Um, and I think like what I can offer is this, this kind of more nuanced, uh, more academic thing for, for better or for worse. Um, there's Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of, a lot that's not great about doing it like that. You mentioned the, this sort of potential split in your audience. I'd be curious to see how you see it between a sort of like more general population, like pop music theory approach and a more like deeper more esoteric like academic approach and that maybe the stuff that you lean into more on that the latter half is like we'll keep the people on the first half out of it or how do you see those two things as as interacting which do you view as your audience like i'm, I'm curious to see how you uh you balance that yeah that's a, another great question um i think well for one i've been very surprised with how much people have responded to the to the the more like in-depth academic stuff like how many people with either experience in in that area or people who are just like thinking like that on their own um have have reached out to me and i've i've talked to a few people and um it's it's been really i guess gratifying seeing that like a lot of this stuff that i'm talking about is actually like resonating for 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 some people um and i think that's kind of a product of metal too like you like I think metal fans maybe tend to be a little more likely to be like deeper into the, the, if not like traditional music theory, than like thinking conceptually about music. 
mm-hmm. um, and stuff. I don't know. I, I try to kind of walk the line in my videos with like who who I'm imagining watching it. Um, and so I try to like at least go over the the kind of background stuff or give links for people who are interested. So I, I and I wonder how many people like actually follow through with, you know, if I say, oh, by the way, this is kind of near Riemannian theory. Here's a, a link to something that's a primer. Um, how many people care about that? But I also I think there's something probably that's like when it comes down to it, it's like people care about the music much more than they care about the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's just, it's just fun to listen to someone talk about music you like, even if you don't understand any of it. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And like, I, I think there's something that's just like fun and appealing. And I hope, or at least I hope this is the case. And I know this is like how I feel about things that I've seen and that have kind of inspired this is like, having seeing someone else like take a piece of music that you like and like play little bits of it and play it slower and give you more angles to look at it. It's just fun. Even if like you don't care like how it relates to academic music theory or whatever, it's kind of like I've recently been gotten interested in chess. Uh, Like just like, I'm not like good at it or anything, but like I've been watching like chess analysis channels Hmm. and stuff. And it's just, like it's all so much over my head, but it's just like fun to see people who are really good at what they do uh, talk about complicated stuff um, that I can like sort of get the the gist of. So I wonder also if there's there's something like that for my channel where um, people like just like to watch the show without necessarily caring about the the details. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have noticed that as like a kind of response to like a lot of music theory stuff that I, I see on YouTube is, is people in the comments being like, I didn't understand any of that, but that was yeah. great. Which is like a, a, such an interesting uh, response. It, to, to be yeah. kind of like, I, I do think people like to sort of be thrown into the deep end with stuff and to just to sort of have like information wash over them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're especially right about metalheads being like, you know, that feel, I was listening to the, one of the other podcast interviews you did about like that experience of being overwhelmed is so much of like the appeal of heavy metal. Yeah. So it makes sense that they'd also want to get sort of overwhelmed by the nuts and bolts of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if I put that together. Was that the, the one with, um, with Baptiste, the, mm-hmm. that one? Yeah. Oh, that's a good on you for, for listening to that. That's, it's a long time, <laughs> but it's, that's how it goes. Like I always, the few times I've, I've found like people who are like really interested in the same thing. It's just so fun to talk. Mm -hmm. I noticed also kind of like sifting through your comments that one of the things that, you know, one of the benefits or negatives, I guess, of covering much smaller bands is the musicians themselves are, you know, way more aware of it, you know, in comparison, like I've seen like Tararma pop up in your comments and stuff like that. How has that been like interacting with the musicians that are like making the work that you're analyzing? Um, it's, it's really cool overall. It's not something I, I expected at the start and it's been, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I think like they, they share the videos, they're flattered. Um, that inter arm one was the, I was like, man, I wish I had played better. I, I did such a lazy job recording those takes and if I knew they were going to see it and like in the beginning, I was telling myself like, well, who cares how I play? That's not the point of this channel. But then I kind of realized like, well, it's probably, you know, t- put the extra hours in to get really clean takes and 
and stuff and it'll be just better all around but yeah so that that was the they were the ones who um i, I love interarma they're they're from kind of near where i am now they're from richmond um and i i saw them oh they were one of the very early metal shows i saw they um they they played this like tiny little club in charlottesville before they this was like i think before the cavern even yeah um so I, maybe i was a little maybe felt a little bad about about that one um because they were like we don't do tapping in that riff but it's fine but everyone else has been been super and of course there's always like like no band or, or every band will say like oh it's uh close there are a couple little details but overall great job because it's like nobody i mean it's true obviously like i'm i can't figure out exactly how they're playing stuff but there's also i think always this like has it like they they want to make it clear that like there's more more to it um mm -hmm. which is is fine i think it's maybe tied up with like the and this is a little bit of a weird connection but the like how bands most bands kind of hate subgenres like they they hate being called a, a a specific type of label or whatever totally. um yeah and it's like they they want to they want to overflow anything you can you can say about their music um or anything you can do to analyze it or or cover it or whatever but yeah every, everyone's been been really really nice and it's it's been great because um for my dissertation work i'm hoping to do a lot of interviews with bands and kind of get into the the details of how they how they write music how they use software and and stuff in the studio mm -hmm. how they um how they learn this these complicated things so it'll be good to kind of make some inroads with that too what a if i don't know if this is like allowed but what is the the basic idea behind your dissertation um it's it's absolutely allowed um it's still um so i haven't defended the proposal yet um so so i, I put together the um so for for anyone listening who isn't aware of how how this works i put together a, a detailed proposal that gives my whole plan and then i have to defend that in front of like a panel of of professors um and then i go off and actually write the dissertation so i'm uh, i have a, a pretty close to finished draft of the the proposal um i'm just waiting on one one set of comments then i'll i'll send it off but so so all that's to say this might change um but basically i'm going to be looking at tactus transformations so changes to to the beat whether that's tempo modulations which is going to be a big part of it um or that thing where you have like a steady beat going and then one of the beats gets chopped in half and you kind of have that like stutter mm -hmm. um miss misstep or uh and then also transitions between music that has like a clear beat and music that doesn't um so that's the that's the the gist and it's all going to be in metal and I'm going to do it from kind of like four perspectives. Um, so first is going to be like a traditional music theory uh, kind of thing, just like looking at like making a taxonomy of what what types of things people are doing, what types of things bands are doing. The second one's going to be like a cultural thing, looking at how fans and bands talk about these these moments um, and what they like, why bands do it. It's like it's a lot of work, obviously. Why so? Why bother? on making music that's so complicated and then i'm gonna have a chapter where i talk to bands and people who are performing these things and kind of figure out you know like what get a feel for what what strategies people use to write and perform them um because there's a lot of it that's maybe not super clear 
how like how like how does Carbon rehearse? How do they talk about their music to each other? Stuff like that. Um, how does how does the Dillinger escape plan not go completely off the rails in those sections where it's just like so fast that it feels like there's no no pulse? So stuff like that. And then the fourth chapter, um, the last chapter is going to be I'm going to try and do some motion capture stuff. Um, so looking at how fans and bands move to this music um, uh-huh, uh-huh. to, to kind of get another sense of what, you know, like how are people feeling these beats? How are they, are they getting thrown off by them? Are they able to predict them? Are they, are the bands, band members like communicating with each other um, visually or, or by emotion? Is there some like way we could tell, you know, who's in charge of like taking 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 the lead on these these disorienting moments uh stuff like that so that's that's still kind of the fuzziest of like what what i'm going to do but my my advisor is going to be um or it has a lot of experience with that so he's he's going to be helpful but i'm hoping to put together get a grant and put together a concert maybe even at saint vitus and like do this in a in an actual concert setting which would be um very cool and very complicated logistically, but, mm-hmm. but that's the, that's the hope. So stay tuned for that. Excellent. There's a lot there that I'd like to spring off of just in terms of like other topics for this interview. Yeah. Like it's uh, like just sort of, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about like the first time I saw Meshuggah and like how clarifying it was just to watch them nod through the songs. Yeah. Like it does sort of teach you like, Oh, if they're feeling it that way, can I internalize that and feel it that way too? Yeah. Yeah the visual yeah. and physical part of this music, I feel like it, it can be so easy to overlook that, but yeah, that's a really yeah. smart thing. To yeah. Do. And that's kind of like one of the the trends in, in talking about rhythm and meter lately is doing it from like an embodied perspective instead of, you know, thinking about it as like these abstract durations um, that you represent with notation or whatever. Um, it's, you know, the, the way you move is what creates a beat, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. um, I think like the the coolest thing that's kind of come out of this is some people arguing uh, that there's no such thing as a beat unless you're either actually moving to it or imagining moving to it. Hmm. It's not like you can just like have a computer pick out what the beat is. I mean, obviously their computers are getting close to being able to do that a little bit, but it's uh, it's not like it's just happening in your brain. It's distributed through your whole body. And there's like a lot of cool stuff about like how people play polymeters um or, or polyrhythms uh where it's like this idea that you can and you're i mean you're a drummer you i'm sure you're familiar with it like the the ability to offload like temporal information to different limbs like you can have something happening in your foot that you've internalized enough that you don't have to like pay attention to it and and so all sorts of stuff like that with like implications for how how we think about musical cognition and and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of thinking about that part of the thing that i think like makes it work in my head is i i don't think of it as like a single limb doing something but it's the combination of limbs moving together yeah almost more like dancing than like yeah you know it it is a the thing that allows that kind of um two-mindedness is is the the connection of multiple parts of your body. It's not like just holding thoughts in like bubbles in your head. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Felt. 
Yeah. And it's the, it's the, like the feel, like you can have a, a super and like, I'm <laughs> running into this very, uh, I don't know, viscerally. Cause I, like I've, I've been trying to play drums for, for a little, or taking drums a little more seriously for mm-hmm. the last few months. It's like, you can have a really clear conceptual picture of what's going on in the music, but that doesn't mean anything uh, for like how you can make it happen with your, your, you know, as soon as you, you try and do something with your left hand and your right foot in a way that you haven't before, it's like everything falls apart. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it's like the, the feel of everything that, that, that matters. Uh, just sort of jumping off from that. How did you first start, playing music to begin with like did you start on guitar yeah i I started with guitar um in like eighth grade well i I guess i played piano for a while as a kid um but i I was never very good and then i played guitar for a long time i kind of always played metal and then i i spent most of uh i spent i guess four years in undergrad like really kind of digging into the jazz guitar stuff um which was really helpful and i had some great teachers well, I guess I, I kept that up in grad school too, um, a little bit, but yeah. And then, I mean, I've, I played bass a little bit, um, through there, but not like more just to like record stuff. And then, yeah, I got a, an electric kit for my band to practice on, uh, and started kind of trying to play stuff myself. But I, I guess I've like actually only started taking it seriously or like really thinking of it as like practice, um, in the last few months, I got a teacher briefly. And when you when you first started playing music, were you like taking private lessons, or did, were you kind of going with like the uh, more you were taking it seriously from the beginning, or you know, were you messing around on your own? No, your uh, I mean, I, I took lessons, but I, I wasn't. I had I never had any idea that I was going to be like a professional musician. I like I, I have a an obsessive personality a little bit, so I like anything I do, I kind of tend to overdo a bit, but I. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how I ended up spending, you know, hours learning between the Buried and Me songs um, on guitar in the early days, which I think has kind of set me right for, for the rest of my, my metal guitar chops, such as they are. They're not, not as good as they once were maybe, but yeah. And even, even in undergrad, I, like, I didn't, I didn't seriously consider music grad school as a possibility until very near the end of of my undergrad i i was a a physics and music major and i thought i was going to go into physics or engineering or something but then i realized that i like the music stuff more and there's a way to to do that without being a performer or Mm -hmm. with without having to rely on being a performer for for all of your uh income i was going to ask about the physics thing because i thought that was a an eye-opening, but like, ah, of course, kind of realization once I found that out, because it does seem like you are interested in the physics of music to some degree or another, uh, just in terms of like the way that it's perceived and like the actual speed at which people can understand music. There is like this kind of like, there. it makes sense that there's some sort of STEM foundation in your thinking. Uh, how much has your background in physics like informed how you think about music? Um. Uh, surprisingly not really at all i don't think um i mean like there's some some stuff with that i learned in phys- like about like stuff about uh wave propagation and and fourier transforms and stuff that was like vaguely useful in the like computer music stuff that i've done at various points but 
Yeah, no, the, the like cognition that like psychoacoustic stuff I've learned almost or pretty much exclusively from a music perspective, like that's in, in music theory books that I'm reading that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there are a lot of people who are into either a science or uh, math or computer science or something or engineering who are also into music. Um, so I don't know if there, there's something there. I think a lot of people assume there is or, and people who are into music theory, especially, I guess, but I think it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, maybe that's what initially attracted me to music theory is it's like kind of mathy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you first start out, you learn rules and systems, and then you spend the rest of your life learning how silly the rules and systems are and how many holes there are in them. Right. Uh, right. Just different from math, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I was going to, one of the things that I've found really interesting going through all of your, your videos uh, over this last week was it seems to, you do start, sort of hit on this theme of something that was perceived one way, but is actually another, or could be perceived multiple ways. Like the first video that I saw of yours that showed up in, you know, my feed was the, the car bomb rhythmic parallax thing, which is all about yeah the rhythm can be perceived in, in multiple different directions to interpret exactly what is happening in the music. And I think that's kind of a through line that even goes to like the primitive man video is like, what chord even is this is yeah. that, that sort of sense of uh, either dualism or uncertainty in analysis seems to be like a recurring theme of yours. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, um that's a great observation that I hadn't quite, maybe put together about my own stuff as like an overall uh, trend, but it certainly makes sense. Um, and it's certainly something that I'm, I'm happy to, you know, if I'm going to have one like research agenda, I, I think that's, that's a good one. <laughs> um, these like, cause, and I guess that's, maybe it's a little bit reacting against, I don't know, like you, if you, if you like in a, being in a, a music grad program, you read a lot of music theory um, and, one of the most frustrating things I think is how objective a lot of people try to make it seem like it is, um, or how, how black and white they, they kind of try to paint musical situations as, um, which just seems like fundamentally, uh, I don't know if unethical is too strong, but like, uh, it's just like, that's not, that's not what music is. That's, you know, if you want to do math, do math, but Mm -hmm. music theory is, um, music is fun because it's, it's ambiguous and it's weird and it means different things in different to different people and at different times. And I guess I'm kind of like searching out these situations that are really like forced you to, to confront that, that reality. Um, and that's been, uh, a thing. And it also, it has to do with, um, like who I'm working with, uh, at Columbia. It's kind of a big, uh, so one of the 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 kind of senior faculty, um, music theory faculty guy at Columbia, Joe Dubiel, his kind of big project is like trying to take music theory into making sure that music theory is always talking about perception. Um, hmm. And like, because there's a lot of music theory, especially set theory and Shankarian stuff um, that just gets really solipsistic. Um, it, it gets really like, it's it's it gets really far from the experience of listening it gets into these really deep abstractions um 
and these, you know, relations between things that are that that maybe don't make all that much difference to to how people hear things. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's that's a, a that's a very fair um, thing, and and I, I think that's also maybe also it's it's like that's an easy an easy angle for a video or for a, a paper or an article or whatever is like saying you hear it this way, but have you considered hearing it these other ways? And that's like, there you've kind of, you have something interesting. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What is the status of like heavy metal in music academia these days? Like, is it more widely accepted as something that is like, like quote unquote worthy of that kind of serious analysis or is there still a, like a cultural difference there? Um, no, I, I, it is, it's, almost mainstream by now i would say and this is like very new this is the last five ten years um mm -hmm. but there's i mean as much as there's any way to measure like how popular a specific topic is um it's it's pretty pretty popular um there's i mean there's <laughs> that's kind of a um a, a, not super useful answer. Um, I mean, there have been a bunch of articles that have come out about, like, in like the the big journals, um, about uh, Meshuga and about there's one. There are two metal articles in the last issue of uh, Music Theory Online um, about form and about rhythm and um, stuff like that. So yeah, there and there's there are conferences. I guess the well, maybe I should I should back up a little bit. So there's there's metal studies as like a broader thing, um, of which a very small thing is is music theory. Mm -hmm. um, so in the broader metal studies things, so that's like people who are working on in sociology and uh, philosophy and literature and um, history. There there's quite a few people working on that in Europe, especially. And then in the U.S. and Canada, there are probably, I'd say, like, maybe 10 people uh, like me, of, of whom I'm the most junior. Um, so people who are, like, established and have published stuff who have, like, expertise in metal, which for as far as a music theory subfield, that's that's pretty big. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what to, to kind of because, like, conventional knowledge is, like, music theory is, you know, predominantly uh, Schenker and Setz, which are like these the two uh, kind of grad level theories. Schenker is this um, tonal harmony thing and set theory is for atonal harmony. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the kind of conventional idea is that that's like what everyone does and it's a problem because that stuff is only really useful for talking about music from Bach to Schoenberg. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe some people are extending it to other stuff. But there's been a lot of backlash against that, especially recently, um, for various reasons. Um, include, I mean, maybe most significantly because it means that most music theory is just talking about music by white people, especially dead white people. And that's that's never great for the like, I don't know, the resilience of a field. Right. Um, yeah. You're kind of 
putting yourself into a box there. Not yeah. there's only so much to talk about. Yeah. And it becomes, it becomes self-defeating and, mm-hmm. you know, people who might otherwise have interesting things to say about music feel like, Oh, music theory is not the place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're missing out on bringing new people in and, and everything. So I don't know. I left a bunch of threads hanging in what I was saying, but I I'm interested to see what, uh, if that's actually still true. Um, so the, the big like music theory conference in the U S is the um, society of music theory thing, which is the, that thing I'm going to in November. And it'll be interesting when they release the program to see like, if it actually still breaks down where it's like 70% papers about Bach, Mozart and Beethoven, and then a couple sessions about, you know, you get one hip hop session, one metal session, one uh, rock session. So maybe, maybe we're getting more and more of a share. Uh, why do you think, like, I, in my notes, I have a question, just why Meshuggah? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why do you think Meshuggah became, like, the go-to band that was talked about in academic circles? But then also on YouTube, I feel like you swing a cat and you're hitting a, a video. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, so the, it's actually sort of a twofold question. Like, why Meshuggah? And then also, like, why Bleed in particular? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't know if I have an answer beyond a better answer than what you could probably just come up with brainstorming. Like, I mean, I think, well, okay. So I think maybe Meshuggah, there's more of a sense that their music is a puzzle in the sense that it's solvable, that there's something that's not obvious and that's difficult about it. But if you figure out this, you know, doctors hate him, this one weird trick Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Meshuggah makes sense to you. And there's like, I was looking for, for one of my, something I was writing, I was looking at the, like the Meshuggah subreddit and it's like routinely you'll get uh, threads that are um, people talking about like the moment when they got Meshuggah um Mm -hmm. it's like the the you know you've been saved the meshuggah epiphany moment so i think there's there's something like that and so there's people who don't like meshuggah think oh well there's i just need to like learn more and i'll i'll get it and yeah and i i mean so there's that i think there's also i mean they're popular so that that helps uh i mean as as far as like a a band playing the music they they play they're absurdly popular they're like i would say probably like lamb of god level popular mm-hmm. um yeah they're playing days. like the hammerstein in, yeah like, yeah that's insane that's where i saw yeah. like nine inch nails as a kid yeah 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 they're headlining a, a, a above converge which like seems um kind of maybe not completely surprising but yeah so so i think there's that and i think that kind of comes from this this idea that um Olivia Lucas has, has written about where it's like, it's kind of reductive um, on purpose, but it's like, they're fun for people who like to mosh and they're fun for people who like to count. Um, And between the two of those, you get like most of metal fans. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so there's that. Why bleed in particular? I don't, I just think people can't believe that people can play that Herta that fast. Um, Like if you're like a a decent drummer or guitarist, um, Mm -hmm. It, I mean, like, it took me a while, but, like, I can do the thing on guitar. But I'm kind of back. I'm, like, I've been messing around with it on drums to, like, just, like, try and get, my, <laughs> get my my feet a little faster. Um, and it's, it's still, it feels, like, impossibly fast. It feels like a magic trick. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's like, people always like the, the fascination with like the virtuosity angle. I mean, it's like, remember all the like obsession and controversy with, uh, dragon force and right. uh, Yeah. So maybe it's that, maybe it's like this perfect storm of, of things. Um, and then, yeah, from the academic angle, I think it's like, they're a great test case for saying there's actually really cool, complicated stuff going on in metal. Um, check them out. And, uh, Olivia Lucas also said like their lyrics are like kind of good. So you don't feel silly, uh, or, or they're not like, it's not like you're printing cannibal corpse lyrics in a, an academic journal and feeling like people will judge you for that or whatever. So, yeah. So, I mean, they, they were the, the, the first like academic music theory thing about metal was about them. And there've been a whole bunch of other ones. And I think now maybe there's a little bit of a um, like cooling off period in academia where people are like, okay, we've, <laughs> we need to write about some other bands before we write another Meshuggah paper. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also maybe a Meshuggah book in the works and um, all sorts of stuff. I, I think they're, they're uh, a timeless band. And they're like one of those bands that you'd think you would get sick of because they are right, like, so repetitive by nature and yeah like, they they have this they have this system and they they do it pretty much all the time and stuff but i i've never gotten tired of them i like every time i listen to them i'm like why am i listening to anything else <laughs> right uh, yeah yeah uh i was thinking about bleed and i, I wanted to just sort of throw this idea at you to see what you thought of it is like part of the reason that i think it is so popular beyond like the like I hadn't thought of the comparison to through the fire and the flames, but you're totally right. It, it seems like the same kind of like get a load of this kind of yeah, you know, yeah. response. But I think it also is like the fastest way to teach someone what Meshuggah do, you know, because the sort of like three against two nature of the opening riff, it's like, yeah, you can tell that these two things are phasing against each other in some yeah. way. And then each time it comes back, it's like, well, now they're doing it in a slightly more complicated way. And you sort of, yeah, it's almost like playing a video game where you're like going through the tutorial yeah. level of how to Meshuggah. And then yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's like Misha Mansour said something like that about just like about lear- what it was like for him to learn guitar. It's like he kept feeling like he had to level up. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's interesting. That's, that's a good point. I hadn't quite, quite thought about that. Cause it's, I mean, but it's also, it's a weird song. Like, and this is kind of the thing that happens is like, you think, okay, yeah, I'm a sugar's music. I know what the deal is, but then you actually look at any one riff and it's like, this is kind of weird. Um, it's like there's something unusual about a lot of them and the, the bleed one, especially cause it like, it goes on so long without resetting and the way the pitches work where they're not like linked to the, to the rhythm really. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, at least in the first few. And there's a part in the solo, they like, there's one thing where the pattern breaks uh, in the, the thing under the solo. I'm going to do a video about that someday. Got to finish before I do any other Meshuggah videos. I'm trying to finish all the catch 33 videos. So it'll be a, a year, but <laughs> right. Yeah. when have you always like played in bands as well? Like when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I, I played in like mostly rock bands in, in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I played in jazz combos. Um, I played in some like new music ensemble type deals. Um, 
and uh, I had really only one metal band that I was like actually a part of for a while. And I'm, I'm trying to get another, get something together in New York again. Hmm. Would that be based on the florid uh, ecstasis? Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> I, I've heard it pronounced a lot of ways and I, I don't really care, but um, <laughs> I, I think they all, they all sound fine. Yeah. I, I guess in my, in my brain, I say florid ecstasis. There you um, go. Okay. Yeah. But I, I have actually heard a lot of people say ecstasis which i think sounds kind of more metal so yeah uh possibly um that stuff is like impossible to play a lot of it i mean i i got i got a lot of it together with a band um and it was it was cool and it was fun but i'm not sure if it was uh it might have been pyrrhic the time and energy it took to actually get it together might have been a little Mm -hmm. self-defeating but it was fun but yeah, I mean, I'd love to play that stuff. I'd love to play just about anything. I've, I'm, I, as a lot of people are, I'm kind of starved for performing as well as seeing bands, but also mm-hmm. playing stuff. Do you like that, that part of it, like the performing aspect and whatnot? Yeah, I, um, and I, I probably would say that I like that best. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I do all this other stuff just because I like to support that, that side of things, which is, obviously I'm getting a kind of bad deal because I do so little performing compared to all the other stuff I do. But I mean, I like all the other stuff too, but, mm. but yeah, I, I love performing. And so when did the, the Ford ecstasis project come about? Like how'd you start that up? Well, it was, it was really a, a bedroom project uh, for a long time. I was just kind of, when I was an undergrad, my, my music stuff was more focused on composition. Um, so I was, kind of just always writing stuff. And I, I put together all the stuff for that first, uh, that first overly ambitious album and wrote it all, uh, late in the game, started, got a lineup together and, and started, uh, rehearsing and we played a few shows. Um, and then I recorded it and then, yeah, I guess over quarantine, I, I was like, man, I need to be writing music again because it had been a few years since I'd really put any, effort into that so i i got together the stuff for the ep and that was that was just all a bedroom project i recorded that right here mm-hmm. the cardboard box uh sound booth and has doing the channel and like having this more like in-depth approach to breaking down other people's music changed the way that you write music for yourself yeah um i I think so. I think I've always kind of done this. Um, I've like tried to borrow stuff from, I mean, I think that's what anyone does when they're writing music. You Mm -hmm. figure out how people do the stuff you like and you kind of borrow some part of it. But yeah, I guess I've, and I don't know, maybe I've even, I think with the, the, the Florida exorcist stuff, it's, um, it's almost like I'm doing the opposite where I'm like figuring out what people have done and then trying to like, okay, how can I, slip between the tr- the cracks of this how can i push this mm. uh, in a even less playable direction um and like obviously like the stuff isn't like technical in the sense that like bleed is technical but it's it's a lot of stuff that would be really hard to get together without just memorizing from a click track or or from a a demo or whatever right um, yeah, I was I was listening to it yesterday, and I was thinking in the in the light of the videos that you've made, like, oh, this kind of reminds me of like the liturgy 
song and yeah. these, like repeating rhythmic chunks and you never know exactly where in the pattern you are combined yeah. with the car bomb thing of like what type of tumblets <laughs> are even happening right now yeah yeah oh thank you that's that's high praise yeah somebody somebody said it sounded like a mix between ulcerate and car bomb and i mm. um i that made me very happy and i think that's like kind of it's like harmonically maybe in the ulcerate world and then rhythmically in the car bomb world mm -hmm. If there was, if there were two of you that existed in the world, and this is a strange question, so bear with me. Um, and the other you was also making a YouTube channel in the same manner. What yeah. riff of yours would you like you to make a video? Of? <laughs> um, oh, that's a that's a great question. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I feel like I, I, I feel like I I would have a lot to talk about with any of them because I know like what I was going for. I know how I made it i know what bands i was thinking about and, and all this being said like i'm, I'm never going to make a video about my own riffs like that just feels kind of like uh, not gaming the system but like a bit masturbatory yeah yeah exactly um yeah working working trying to work both angles of it at the same time so yeah i think there's there's some stuff that um is like i don't know there's, there's a lot of stuff that's that's interesting from it and probably to a fault where like I, I value stuff that's like theoretically interesting, maybe too much. Um, and I need to sometimes just get out of my head and make stuff that sounds good. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, there's, I, I mean, I think the, most of the, the riffs on the, the EP are doing something weird with time that I haven't seen other bands do most of the riffs on the the first album have something to do with some other riff on the same album and it's i was kind of in the the vein of the between the barrier to me thing of all these interlaced connections but mm. yeah but but it's like i'm i'm not going to be one to say that like that means that any music is good i mean interesting is interesting and like there is a place for saying that it's worthwhile for music to be fun to think about um but like does it make you want to headbang is kind of the, the more important thing right uh i imagine i was thinking about like along those lines are there any bands or songs uh, that you find like conceptually interesting but you wouldn't necessarily cover them because you just like don't really enjoy the music that much that's an interesting question. Uh, and you don't have to name names if you don't want to yeah. start any shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure every, everybody in the metal world is going to be hanging on to my every word. Uh, <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to start any feuds. I don't want to call out Slayer and Metallica, man, they couldn't take it. Their careers are just getting started. Um, no, I, I can't think of any. There, there are a lot of bands that are doing really interesting conceptual things that I don't think I'll be able to talk about, at least not in the near future, um, because it's too. It's there's some like technological or technical or logistical uh, barrier. So everyone keeps asking me to do videos about Juke Guide, and I just don't know how I would start doing that. I like I can't transcribe it. Uh, I'd have to completely relearn notation and mm -hmm. uh, guitar and same for the, um, that, uh, well, people ask about Psyopus a lot too. It's like, I, 
I don't really have any hope of playing that stuff. So I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to talk about it. I think stuff like that, my best bet will be to interview people mm-hmm. um, and just like have it be a conversation about what they, what they were doing with their music. Yeah. So there's bands like that. I don't, uh, about your original question. I'm not sure if I can think of any examples and if I could, I probably wouldn't say it. Fair enough. Yeah. There's always going to be way more bands that I want to talk about than I'm ever going to be able to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of the nature of how how things go. And so you're planning on expanding the the format to include more interviews and other stuff like that? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I think especially when I if I start interviewing bands for my dissertation, um and yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to like obviously a lot of people do interviews with bands. Um I think it might be fun to do like really nitty gritty interviews, like technical interviews, um mm-hmm. and have it like edit the video so that I can like show what we're talking about um as it's happening. Cause I think that's kind of a a problem sometimes with with those videos that do or interviews that sometimes do get kind of technical, but it's just like it's just words and sometimes you're talking about really complicated stuff and it can help to um even if both the people who are talking know what they're talking about, it doesn't necessarily come across, which is <laughs> right. It's a lot to keep in happen. your head to, as yeah, I and I'm 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 sure you've uh had to deal with that with with your podcast um a little bit. Which mm-hmm. I, I love your podcast, by the way. I thank you. I listened to the the Mars Volta episode, um, which was so fun to hear three people who really like the band talk about my favorite band of all time. Oh fuck yeah. That's awesome. I uh I yeah, it's it's like one of those bands I show it to everybody and like and I'm like come on, you have to like this. It's, <laughs> um, and, and everyone's like, eh, I don't really like it. The vocals, I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. Cause I sent your video about a uh, tetragrammaton to that, uh, to the other two guys, like, oh, we nice. have, like a running text thread of, you know, all Mars Volta related stuff ever since the podcast. So that's sweet. Yeah. No, that, that was so fun. Um, I, I think they're, yeah, they're, they're definitely my, my favorite non-metal band. Although mm-hmm. some people say they're they're kind of metal. I, they were in this this one. I I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I don't. Sometimes I feel like there's. I mean, all of these sort of genre lines are, are porous in one way or yeah. another. You know, you can yeah. get from one place to another eventually. Yeah. But to me, it always comes back to like the culture that the band exists in, rather than like the you know yeah. like because there's like non-metal artists that play to like basically metal crowds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so they're like culturally metal, whether they're yeah. they sound like it or not. And I feel like the Mars Volta do not play to metal heads. Yeah. Yeah. That's they true. Have their own thing going on. Yeah. And I guess that's one of the the things like with the, like, because like I, I'm, I, I think I'm, I was too young to, to see them ever. Um, mm. So I, I like found out about them online um, kind of in this like vacuum um, relatively speaking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like there are, there are a lot of people who are either like were once metal and now what they're doing could kind of by no stretch of the imagination be called like metal sonically, but they're still like thought of as metal people. 
right like over i think or like yeah today. yeah and the the new uh lingua and yoda album mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've heard some of that stuff but it doesn't seem like there's going to be any screaming um which i mean it's still it's sick it's like so so unsettling <laughs> <laughs> right um, yeah going back to the just the format of, of videos thinking about you do seem one of the things that i've really liked about it, and one of the reasons that i think like music theory stuff works so well on video platforms is that it allows for like visual representation of the music simultaneously with the music does the the new presence of like music theory and academic music stuff on youtube how does that rub up against the more ingrained sort of journal culture of academia like how are these two things interacting as far as you see uh that's a a, another uh really great question and um a very hot button issue in in music theory worlds um actually there there were two conferences i went to this spring one of them the uh at columbia that i i helped organize that was about public musicology but the idea was like a big part of that was people who are doing stuff music research on youtube Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this other one uh, in uh, out of the UK, the Society for Music Analysis there, um, where they had Adam Neely and 12 Tone as guests. Um, and they had this round table with, with them and a, a few grad students and, and professors who are doing similar stuff. And there, like, there are people writing articles about it. Um, and yeah, so there's all that. With, music theory is kind of grudgingly aware of it and the people who are aware of it are like well <laughs> but there's a lot we can learn from these people and so there's that i think a lot of people are scared like people are i mean academia isn't a great job <laughs> like it's not a great place to 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 work um because once you get out of grad school you, there's like if you get into a PhD program, that's awesome. You're you're hopefully set for five or however many years. Um, but then after that, it's like the the jobs are generally pretty bad paying with no security. And so there's a lot of fear that one, that people are going to that administrations are going to be able to make a case to get rid of those jobs altogether. Um, if it's like, well, if you can just watch. 20 Adam Neely videos and get the same thing as a, um, a, an intro music theory course. Why do we need to pay someone a tiny amount to, <laughs> to teach them? Which I'm not saying that's true. I think obviously there's, there's good things from getting stuff in a classroom setting, but yeah, so there's that. And then there's also teachers who are professors who are in those positions are worried that they're going to have to compete with, people who do the YouTube videos for a living. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to have to like learn uh, their video production stuff and do that all on top of having a full load of teaching and having to do research in order to get a, a better job. So there's a lot of anxiety about that. But I think, I mean, I, I actually did a, one of the conference papers I gave this spring was um, about that exact thing, about how it's silly that there's so few people in academic music theory doing video stuff pretty much zero because it has such a potential to communicate things better um and faster and uh to a more general audience and 
about a wider variety of, of types of things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like not that hard to actually make these videos. I think that's another misconception is like doing basic uh, diagrams like that doesn't take a huge, you don't have to like no coding or, or anything. Although they'd probably look nicer if I did, did it that way. I actually, I find the, um, there's something very charming about the level of video production in your videos. <laughs> Thank you. I, that's, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah. You've kind of, it seems like you're aware of the technical limitations and very much leaning into them to have fun. Yeah. That's one of the things like during this break, I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'll get to making some fancier looking things, but I don't think I can have time. And I don't know if it would add much. Like, I mean, you look at like the, um, I mean, Adam Neely's videos are, are cool um, and obviously very slick and, and polished, but I don't, well, one, I don't think he does, he doesn't do quite the same type of stuff as I do. Like his stuff is mostly just like showing a score and animating the notes along with it or, or whatever, or the mm -hmm. a chord sheet or, or whatever. Whereas like, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, like, I'm not like that stuff's useful, but I'm trying to always trying to find like a new way of presenting some information, which I think is something that can be valuable for music theory. And some of them, I think I, I've been things that don't really work. And then other ones have been things that I've actually been pretty proud of on um, finding like a, a concise way to present something where someone can just watch that part with the music and, and hopefully get a, a understand what I'm, I'm saying mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, I've, I felt like, again, the liturgy video, watching you go through all of the various permutations and like having the quote unquote rules on the side and having that update yeah. over the course of it, super enlightening to like oh, oh, how to listen you. to that music. Thank you. Yeah, that was something I actually, I came up with that idea in a Stravinsky seminar mm. um, and I wrote that the original paper was about the Rite of Spring, which I guess I, I mentioned in that, that liturgy video. But yeah, then I was like, oh, there's actually a whole bunch of music I could metal I could do this for. Mm -hmm. What's on the uh, the docket coming up? Are, are there any like particular subjects or, or bands or styles that you're diving into next? Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got, like I said, I've got all everything planned. I don't think there's like that much suspense, but the, the next, the next two are going to be Meshuggah videos because um, I'm a nut and I have to have riff analysis number 33 be about catch 33. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to do a full video about mind's mirrors, um, which I'm still struggling to write, but I think uh -huh. I, I, I'm going to talk about the, I talk about the lyrics and catch 33 basically and, and how it all relates to the music. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I've been waiting for someone to do like, I feel like the thing that is missing from like, we've been, we as a metal culture have been like tearing Meshuggah's music yeah. you know, all the way down to the most atomic level. And I feel like the lyrics are like the the lyrics and the art and like the. And and even just like the, the vocal rhythms too have a lot to add to how you talk about the, the riff rhythms, I think. And I, I have too much on my plate uh, to really get into that right now, but maybe someday. Um, and that's something that a lot of people have said, oh yeah, that's, that's a cool project, but I don't think anyone's actually doing it. There's, um, there is someone who's like going to do a big academic paper about, um, the like polymeter versus four, four, uh, interpretation thing, which I think is, is going to be really interesting. Cause that's like a huge argument on 
the the interweb, but it's like I it's I think it could benefit a lot from some like some nuance. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's almost like a circular argument. It's, you know, like to me, it's almost like the galaxy brain meme where you start off being like, yeah. it's just in four, four, and then you yeah. get all the way back to the end of it. And you say, yeah. ah, it is all just in four, four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got that. I've got, um, a sumac video, a tesseract video, defeated sanity, the contortionist, another animals leaders thing. Um, I have an article about uh mirror reaper coming out. So I'm going to do a video explain like a video abbreviated version of that. I am going to do something about guitar pro as a software, but I'm, I have like, I, I'm not, that's still taking shape a little bit. Got going to do another Opeth video eventually spawn a possession. Antifaxis, a lot of, a lot of bands that I, I like, and I've, um, or that that I really like. I also I, I I kind of I think like seasonally about music. So mm. there's like for me it, it matters like if it's August or July. There's specific music that I'm listening to normally. What's your summer soundtrack? I I kind of lean a lot into the um the old school death metal stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been the I just like it's so like I don't know maybe I associate it with Florida, but it's like so swampy and humid sounding yeah yeah Yeah. so obituary death uh entombed Mm -hmm. and it's all all that is stuff that's gonna figure into my dissertation so it's it's a win-win yeah to me this is it we're still in in prime deaf heaven season at the moment oh oh, really yeah oh that's 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 interesting for me deaf heaven is uh sunbather is a, a january album huh and uh New Bermuda, was that what the album was called? Yeah, that's the um, one they did next. Yeah, uh, that's like an October album. That one is a fall record. You're right. That's kind of like to me, like the transition of yeah. uh, summer into fall. Is, yeah. That, that's, that's also when I break out the Converge records too. I feel like they're such yeah. a Halloween band for yeah, some Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think of the new the new Deaf Heaven stuff? Um, I'm surprised that it took them this long to do it. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I sort of feel like it's retroactively changing how I feel about the album just before it, Ordinary Corrupt Human Pop, yeah, yeah. which I feel like is going to go down as like the weird misshapen transition record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, it sounds to me like what I expected that record to be. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I feel like after you go like, you know, Sunbather obviously is like, you know, I think is a, a instant classic. I think that record is like the most important metal album of the last decade but that's just me i'm like oh wow i'm deep into that sort of shit um new bermuda i feel like was the the right pivot into trying to be heavier and like not repeat yourself and like start doing metallica riffs over blast beats and stuff like that yeah and then it makes sense now to like swing all the way in the other direction and just like yeah, write the shoegaze yeah. record you've always yeah. wanted to make. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> it feels a little bit like yeah. We we know you've you, this has been coming. Like it's not <laughs> not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of just new music, did you have you listened to the first single of the new BT Bam? Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what What are you? How do you feel about Colors Two? Uh, I'm. Ex- I mean, I'm very excited. I I think. I think they've they've definitely seems to to be transitioning uh 
recently into just like wanting to write bangers. It's like all their music was bangers, but it's like especially stuff like uh like Voice of Trespass um from the last album. It's like they're just kind of like weird party music almost. And that's kind of what what Fix the Error felt like. But from a like from the perspective of my research, it's like uh um uh, a dream come true to to have the opportunity to like look at how they're reworking stuff from an album from 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you picked up the ants in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Quote. Um, yeah, that was, that was sweet. Um, or even just the dun, 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 like that yeah, little guitar yeah. part keeps coming back around again. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't like, like analyzed it or, or anything. Um, I'm probably going to, that's going to have to wait a while. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think I like uh, automata automata was, mm. um, maybe my, my least favorite of, of the recent ones. Um, or I mean my least favorite since colors, I guess. Yeah. But, you're like uh, a post colors fan, right? You weren't into them and when they were, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was only, I was in like, I was in seventh grade when colors came out. Um, okay, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm young. Um, I just had that M night Shyamalan trailer <laughs> flash before my face old. It's <laughs> like, Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, so or, or how, how do you, how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'm, it's funny I, where I'm actually going to do another like round table podcast about BT BAM. That'll probably come out the week after this one. So I don't want to oh, spoil myself too much, but um, I, I kind of like, haven't been like a, a hardcore BT BAM fan in a long time. Like I'm part uh, of that cohort that kind of around parallax too was like, I need to get off the train. <laughs> um, but watching your videos has been like, okay, I, I see that they still put a ton of work into the record. I just don't particularly enjoy listening to it. Uh, I, I, I think you're right that they're almost accepting their like inner desire to be like big band jazz on some level. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy for them to like, be fully committed to that and i'm I'm, Mm -hmm. you know i love callers that's my my favorite of their records uh the experience i can tell you i I was in uh, senior year of high school when that came Mm -hmm. out and it was like just jaw dropping like the sensation of having like that band turn into that band was yeah yeah amazing so it's cool to see them like returning to it and you know picking up those little hints and pieces of the older material it'll be cool to just kind of like do the marvel movie thing of just like yeah easter eggs yeah yeah whole thing but i i haven't been like a, a hardcore bt band fan in a, a long time so yeah yeah no I, i'm psyched i kind of i maybe got to the point where i was like i know it's just like they're they're such like professional musicians and they like the fact that they they i don't know i i i feel like they've they've transitioned maybe from being kind of like this edgy well, straight, straight edge, vegan, weird prog band to being more kind of like this. I don't want to say like dad prog, but because they're, they're not, they're still like, it's not like Tommy's stopped growling, which I think everyone was afraid would happen. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't love coma ecliptic when it came out. Um, but that's really grown on me. Cause like you just start. And I think a lot of people had this experience where they're like, oh man, this isn't, this isn't parallax too this isn't colors. But then you listen to it a while later and it's like, man, this is still, 
still, yeah, it's still really worthwhile. Cool There's a ton of stuff in it. You just yeah. get acclimated to yeah. hear like what they're doing with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the other topics that I feel like has come up a lot on my podcast is the band ISIS. And, uh -huh. you know, the sort of reaction to in the absence of truth of just being like, well, what the fuck is this? You know, it's this like dense, completely like more chilled out. It reminded me of Coma Ecliptic in that kind of way where it's yeah. like, we're just going to turn the volume down a bit and get a bit more spacey. And yeah, that, that will throw people for a loop. But once you yeah. dig into it, there's, there's definitely stuff there. I know. I'm, it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, I'm going to get new, new Michigan next year. I hopefully, yeah. And I'm seeing between the barrier to me for this, the, the two back-to-back -back sets. So they're going to play like, I figure what they're doing first, but they're going to play the great misdirect, which is the first album that I like really like anticipate first of their albums that I like really anticipated and remember coming out and, mm. and didn't really into. And then they're doing a whole second set of just like a, a normal set of, of a bunch of other stuff. So that'll be, that's going to be sweet. Nice. Well, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been. Oh, yeah. No, this has been fun. super, super interesting. Um, Super fun to talk. Uh, yeah. Once you're back in New York, we should uh, we should link up. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If I'll I'll hit you up for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm interested. I'm excited to see hear the the BT BAM roundtable, too. For sure. Yeah. Anything you want to plug or in particular before I let you go or. Nah. <laughs> no, I'm. I feel like I, I I'm not good at this like the the self promoting and and stuff. It's because mm -hmm. I'm I, I still don't think of the the YouTube stuff as like a real gig or anything. It's just kind of fun. But maybe I should think about like think about it like that. Well, yeah. In either case, I'll send people to the the YouTube and the Patreon and all that. And uh, yeah, thank yeah, you again. Thank you. This has been a blast. Yeah. Awesome. We'll see you. Have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Calder, for joining me. You can find links to Metal Music Theory and its attendant Patreon page, as well as links to Florid Ecstasis. See, I got it right this time, in the description. I've also included links to my own music in case you want to check that out. That'd be awesome. If you liked this episode, it'd be rad if you could leave a good rating and review, or even better, if you could send it to someone who you think would enjoy the conversation. More episodes soon. Until next time.